Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Still in the Box. My name is Hawa and this is... This is Islam. Hi, everyone. Hi. I hope you have had a lovely week. We are so, so dedicated to this podcast. I am doing this bang early in the morning in a dungeon, not a dungeon, but like in my loft, in my parents' house, because this is the only quiet space I can find. And yes. that, that if that doesn't show you my dedication, then I don't know what will. I mean, it really is dedication. I'm sure our two listeners completely appreciate <laughs> your um, your efforts. Polite reminder that it's uh, nearly 12 o'clock, however, but okay. <laughs> very early. Clearly, bang in the morning is uh, has very different definitions across the board. <laughs> but yeah, I know. I hope everyone has had a lovely week, it's, is in the process of having a lovely Easter, or if you don't celebrate it, happy non-religious extra holidays and extra days off from work. Always very nice. And uh, yeah, so how was your week? What have you been up to? Oh my god, what have I been up to? It's just a countdown till I say this every week. I know it sounds boring now, but until everything opens up, because my life other than that is just work. And that has been a pain in my ass. Um other than that, what have I been doing? I've enjoyed the sun. The minute the sun came out, I yeah. left, abandoned my flat and went to the park. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it seems like I was going to say where I live. That's probably not a good idea. But yeah, our, our two listeners might stalk us and uh, come find out where you live. <laughs> you oh, the danger. Um, but the park near me it was really lovely. I enjoyed it. Mm. Tried to do it the second day of the sun, but it wasn't really sun. So it was yeah. But I got to manage to see a lot of my friends over the week, and it's been really, really nice. How about you? Oh, that is really, really lovely. Obviously, we have to go work on our tan during these times. Very, very important. No, I, I, just, um, I just crossed my laptop and disappeared, and they were like, Nice, very, very nice. But yeah, a polite reminder to all of my melanated sisters, please wear sun lotion. Yes, we're black, but we do still need it. <laughs> I hope you give me credit for teaching you that. Yes, yes, I can yeah. I can completely give you credit for that. I was completely in the belief of like, I'm black, I don't need it. And then it was like, okay, yeah, no. Like, I do. You want to get skin cancer or something? I do not want to get skin cancer. I also don't want to age like a raisin. So yes, sun lotion. But yeah, no, uh, same thing here, to be honest, the little bit of the one week of sunshine that came across um, in the past few weeks. Um, I went outside, had a few nice walks, enjoyed the sunlight. Um, not going to last for long, sadly, because next week it's going to be a little bit more snow and apparently snow, but like maybe not. But we'll see. And yeah, um, and yeah, exactly like you said, literally just waiting for the day that everything opens up again. Um, things are slowly starting a little bit earlier in my area because like it's not as densely populated, I guess, so they can be a bit more relaxed. I think the swimming pools next to where I live are opening. So I'm really looking forward to that. And it's like, yeah, it's just slowly, you know, I feel like since we've been coped, cooped up for so long, for so long, yeah. we've kind of forgotten how to do social things and how to interact. So like we're just slowly being let out of our cages and feeling our way in the environment. No, you don't agree. Yep. <laughs> You're just going to rush out. I am like I'm very much a social butterfly in my true nature. So I um, not... <laughs> um, Yes. <laughs> and so I... I'm looking forward to it. I really, really am looking forward to it. This is nothing else to do. I have baked all the banana breads there to bake. I've done all the cooking there is. I have painted so... I have painted like six or seven in the last three months, I think. Yeah. And all the first last time, I probably painted just two paints. So I am bored out of my mind. So like you've just had enough. 
Yeah, I feel like I never thought I'd say this, but I feel like I've had enough of reading for now. Like I've been just working my way down my Goodreads to do, yeah. to read list, and it's just like okay, now I need some. Outside I don't know. Now that I think about it, you are very much a social butterfly, and you're a lot more social than I am. Do you want to like? Do you want to remember like? You remember when you came to visit me in Malaga, and then yeah. we went out to like this little what's it called kind of um, social gathering yeah. situation. Like rules were a lot better. Rules didn't exist back then because like yeah. it wasn't the pandemic yet. Because like we well, were out socializing, whatever. And then I was literally happy to just sit there in a little corner, have our little smoothies, and like have a good time. And you were like, oh, let's go talk to people. And I was like, ew, why? <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, you were like, oh, what if you just go up to the what's it called? Go and order something and mm. just like oh try and make conversation or whatever with the people around you. And I was just like, oh my god, no, what if they just ignore me? <laughs> Oh, oh yeah <laughs> that was so funny it was like I cannot relate <laughs> yeah because like literally like how has this very like oh you know I don't know enthusiastic positive outlook of like we're gonna go make connections whatnot be social and I'm over here like I just assume that everybody's as antisocial as I am so if yeah. I try and talk to somebody they're gonna be like why you know <laughs> what's just, how do you just stare at your phone like a normal person like why are you here in my space <laughs> <laughs> the thing is what me here is I naively see everything in the good way and you are uber pessimistic and you see everything in the neg- negative way. So I'm yes, like... It's like paranoid anxiety. Yeah, it, yeah, I don't think it's anxiety. I think it's just, I think it's just pessimism. No, <laughs> I don't mean it's compulsive, like the anxiety, com- like compulsive disorder or anything. I don't think yeah, it's that yeah. serious, but I just think like I have anxi- a slight anxiety where it leads to slight paranoia in social situations where I always assume it's going to be the most <laughs> horrible thing. Like, yeah, I'm going to go ask somebody for the time and they're going to slap me across the face. Because like, yeah, that seems like a perfectly normal and proportionate response <laughs> in that social situation. <laughs> Has anyone ever done me. that? <laughs> Has anyone ever done that? <laughs> but no. So we will go out. We'll be like, oh, let's go out tonight. Go X, Y, Z. Go see go see people, talk to people, meet someone. And then it's not going to be like, we don't know. You'll be like, no, let's not, you know, it's just not going to, it's not going to work. I'll be like, no, of course it's going to be. If you just, if you, especially with women, especially if you want to make female friends, it yeah. is the easiest thing. You go up to someone be like, or especially if they're black girls or other ethnic minorities just oh my god that dress is really cute where did you get it from and like oh yeah that's really nice and then you get chatting and it goes like, it like goes i just feel i feel like that just works in very specific black situations and every and every other situations like it just doesn't it everywhere at like at least because when i moved to london i had yeah. two friends two friends who were basically yeah. i have loads of friends now and i've met all of them on a night out almost all of them night out I will keep that in mind then because you know you know what the, <laughs> the thing is like even when I gas myself up and I think you know what I'm going to be confident and I'm going to be social like I did that one time when I came to visit Hawa and then I was like you know what we're gonna go to Shoreditch and we're, <laughs> we're gonna like listen we're gonna go like we got dressed up we got you know we were both looking great and I was like right I'm gonna go and like we're gonna be super confident and explore and whatnot and then like the second and like it was just too many people and too much the eyes on me I was like oh my god like, no I can't deal with it and then I went like in the corner and hit someone <laughs> <laughs> oh my god 
literally the second it was like no too many people (laughs) can't do it i honestly think make especially in london making friends is probably the easiest thing you can do here because almost half of the people i think who live here are people who have been here all their lives so they have established friendships they have established networks and so on and the other half are people like us who have moved here for work or for studying or so on but they are equally looking for people they can connect with and people who they can click with and so on to be fair like a lot of my friends from london are also people who have been here for a long time it's just Mm. that they were looking for new friends and we just happened to meet at the same night and that was really easy i think it's just one of those things you have to be open to it i know Mm. it sounds very hippie positive bullshit but if you are open to receive friendship receive connections and whatnot people are more likely to get that connection from you yeah. and gravitate towards you and then yeah really easy from there especially i know it's superficial conversations but talk about makeup talk about dresses talk about something i mean i don't think that's superficial at all like if it's that stuff you're interested in and we're all interested in obviously we're all dressed up we're all wearing dresses we're all yeah. wearing makeup so like i think that's a great way to talk to each other but like obviously you know you just have that confidence of like you know walking up and making making conversations and making it click which like i have not very great at. It's not, even so, yeah. not even you going up sometimes if someone comes up to you are yeah. you willing to be like quite open and see i love that <laughs> i love making conversations but i'm just not like, not great at like oh my god good trick is wear loads of perfume wears loads and loads of perfume that smells really nice <laughs> someone will always come up to you and be like oh my god you smell really nice what is that and give somebody an asthma attack and asthma attack in the process <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the risk is low so that's fine that always works <laughs> like, then... next thing you know like an ambulance is being called and somebody's shouting like three two one clear yeah. <laughs> and you know standing in the corner with your perfume bottle like oh, I'm, I'm so sorry <laughs> I didn't mean to <laughs> see that is the only a pessimistic thing that everything <laughs> else would be like okay that's a nice trick that yeah. really works this is a very good illustration about like how our minds work but you're over here like this is the best way to make a connection I'm like oh my god this is the worst way you can go wrong <laughs> so that's why when I say that I actually I am itching itching to leave this country now I've kind of got to come to Sudan no not Sudan Islam I'm never moving down there so I'm, I'm never cry. giving up but gonna, go on <laughs> never gonna have it but I am itching to leave London I think I have I've more or less reached my end natural mm. end with it so I'm yeah. thinking of going somewhere else and I've been thinking about going to either Paris or either Madrid go work over there and that would be really nice and a lot of the questions when I tell people a lot of the questions I get oh my god what are you gonna do like you know you don't know anyone I don't know anyone there you didn't know anyone in London I also didn't know anyone in London and I think it's easier here because I speak English and obviously it's English-speaking country it's much easier to find your way around but now that I have done this I feel a little bit more confident in moving to Paris and just like navigating my way through it. I have friends there. I have two friends there actually. Yeah. So I think we'll be okay, but we'll see. I mean, that would be really, really brilliant. And I'm not just being selfish here and saying that would be great to come and visit you. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Speaking the language in the country, obviously that is very important, but that's one of those things that if you put your mind to it and as soon as you get there, you actually like you're not one of those people that moves there and just like doesn't bother but like if you actually put your mind to it i, I don't think i would be learning french but I but think you'll I'm- learn at least enough french yeah. to get around especially in france where like I, I hear it's a country where they don't appreciate it when people come in there and don't yeah like, but i live with a french girl now and she yeah she's been living around and she has loads of american flat she used to have a loads of american flatmates when she used to live in paris and she says all the time like it's 
perfectly you know they, they just speak english they speak english everybody everybody understands yeah. them they get by really easily so i don't know yeah. I, I think i initially wanted to go abroad before i moved to london but i was mm. a little bit apprehensive because i was first time moving out and also moving out to a foreign country it seemed like a bit of a stretch but yeah. now that i've done this and this has been really it's not been easy but but you know the steps now don't you? I, yeah you know i know to the do, way you know around it yeah I've mm. lived with complete strangers I've lived with people yeah one of my flatmates I've met her on a random night and we decided to live with live with together for like nine months before she left me yeah oh <laughs> wow so like I find it really easy to connect with women and find friendships so I think I'll be think of yeah but I mean, that's that's brilliant and I cannot encourage this enough yeah. that is absolutely lovely I mean if you go like when you go rather when you go uh, I mean it's just a matter of you know we are lucky enough to have these passports that allow us to travel to different places so why not put them to use you know like exactly. dust them off. and that goes the same to anybody even if you're not if you don't feel like as you know comfortable leaving home it can be done I assure you and that's a, that's what the good thing about university to be honest with like when you're first moving out to university obviously that's the initial step but even if you don't you know do that and whether it's for family reasons or maybe you're not quite comfortable that doesn't mean like oh that's it I've missed my chance I will never be able to leave the home and I'm like just here like ironed like iron grip to the household forever that doesn't mean that you know you can do it late a bit later or at any point and it's fine start off maybe not start off to Paris straight away <laughs> but yeah. like you like you're like the perfect roadmap of how to do it like a little bit here and then jumping off yeah I actually that reminds me I did get a question from one of the listeners that we had and she was asking that how she has Somali parents how does she convince her Somali parents to move out and I asked her like what sort of parents you have because that's very important indicator of like how can you leave so she was like oh they're fairly strict and it's unlikely and I would say my parents were fairly strict too at some point in time. And over time, as they age, I think it's just because they get slower, they're less likely yeah. to be <laughs> a bit harsh, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, not in that way. But I mean, aging often makes people a lot calmer and so on. So of they course, yeah. And let go of a lot of stuff. Um, but start start doing small steps, start going on trips abroad, start going to, if you can't go abroad, go visit your friends elsewhere go stay in Scotland for a bit, go down to Wales, go down to Lund. Like, you know, I had a couple yeah. of trips up to Scotland before I moved. Yes, yes, you did. Someone. <laughs> and so get, get them, ease them into the idea of you being away from home and doing that bit by bit. Then try to get a job for a small period of time somewhere else, try to move, do that. And then eventually yeah. they'll get used to it. Then we'll get used to it. Obviously, it does help to have all the siblings who have done it before you. That is like a great way of doing it. But if you haven't, like in my case, that was the case. But even for my siblings, to be honest, because we have obviously a lot of people in the community, we were really screwed over by the fact that all of them decided to either go to University of Birmingham or commute to other universities. So like there was no moving, a lot of moving out going on in our community. But then the way my older siblings did it, that like, honestly, and it sounds a bit harsh, and I don't recommend that you do this because like it can backfire with certain kinds of parents, but they just never even approached it as a way of, we need to ask for permission. They approached as a way of, it's going to happen. Yeah. And that's just, oh, I can ease you into it. Like I can help reassure you by saying, oh, it's going to be student accommodation, female only student accommodation in the case of my sister. It's close by, you can commute, you can come visit me. But like, we're not here asking for permission. We're here letting you know that it's going to happen. Because unfortunately- I think that's maybe slightly, you know, Somali parents, I don't think- It is. Like you don't have to do it in a rude way. Yeah, I I don't think they're going to be that receptive to it. But what you Mm. can do is 
let them know throughout the process and not like yeah I think people say oh when they want to be back it's like it's a really easy thing that you can just do it's not a, it really you have to is. have money in the bank you have to yes. have like you are it requires a lot it's not as fancy as great as like fun as it seems I yeah. fucking paid my rent today and I hate paying rent to everyone it's a yeah. pain of my ass it's not fun it's sometimes lonely you are living with complete strangers who you never met yeah. before you know complete mm-hmm. foreign city foreign city or foreign country wherever you go so it's not like you don't have the security that your family and your parents provide for you so it's not like something to rush to but if you're ready to go it depends on your age 18 to 21 I would say ease your parents into it make them seem like they are actively involved in the process so I would get like my parents to help me look for a place drive me down help me like get my stuff there and so on so they are actively participating in the process but if you are after 22 you're a big girl okay make a big girl decisions (laughs) So move. At some point in time, you cannot blame your parents for everything. You have to actually take active decisions in your life. And yeah. you know, that there's a cutoff point. And I think that's the cutoff point for me personally. I mean, yeah, I completely agree. And it's it's the case of like you said as well, you have that comfort at home, but once you start moving out and you start making those those decisions for yourself, it does mature you and it does give you a little bit of world knowledge, shall we say? So yeah. that now you're in a position where if problems happen, your first instinct isn't, oh, mama and baba will sort it out. Now you know how to do it yourself. If you lock yourself out of your flat or if the gas isn't working or if this isn't working, it's not the case of, oh, somebody else will do oh it for me. And that's going to be your entire mindset in life. It's going to be now I know the steps and I have the steps to sort it out for myself. And yes, that doesn't sound very glamorous and very Instagram, you know, lifestyle great, but it's a part of knowing how to sort yourself out and how to be a I big wish girl. Like I, I, I wish I had that kind of resilience. I think the first flat, the room, did you come to the first flat? Moved in? I don't think you did actually. The, like, the, the one, oh, flat. oh. It was a yeah. fancy place, but it was such a small flat. And yeah. I think we had our fridge, our washing machine, and our cooker broke at the same time. <laughs> like, all at the same time. And, oh I, God. Like, and there was no one to help. I don't know what was happening, but there was no one to help, no one to come and visit. It took, like, weeks to get them sorted. I, oh I, I felt like crying and just packed myself. I went home for the weekend. <laughs> this is why like obviously this is like a exceptional situation this doesn't happen often but why i will say the best idea to move out around university age rather than later on in life because when you go out to university um there is a little bit of a safety net for the students to help catch you when that happens so for example if this kind of situation would happen in student accommodation they would like they would sort it out a quicker or b find you somewhere to stay with temporarily rather than just you like nah sort it out yourself right off the bat so that's why it's a good way to start but um about the part with parents right i want to say yes obviously it depends on the kind of parents but i will say sometimes if you try and ease your parents too much into it and give them too much say they start kind of uh, you know you give them an inch and they take a mile kind of situation and i think if you have those kind of parents you know what i'm talking about where it gets to the point of rather than them helping you pick um what's it called helping you pick I don't know locations or helping you pick the right flat they're now deciding whether you should go or or not at all where you should live and where you shouldn't it's like it gets a little bit so yes you should get them you know you can try and get them involved if you can but it's very important to put that boundary of like no 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 this is still my decision and you don't again this doesn't have to be like a fight of like I'm moving out and he was packing your bags and leaving like don't be a drama queen but (laughs) it does have to be done in kind of a firm way sometimes here and there and yeah. it is a bit sad sorry go on 
no no I was agreeing I was like yeah that's true and I one thing I do not like is people who continue I understand because I come from a very very similar background very very similar situation yeah. so I get it but I don't like people who continuously blame their parents or make their parents as the active sole decision makers in their lives like yeah. when you are 18 20 and you don't have any financial safety net and you can't work or you don't have anything so of course then I can understand but mm. after association if you're full-time worker and you pay council yeah. tax bitch move out and make yourself in your own place sort yourself out if that is what you want to do and stop you have the power to do so like as as we age yeah yeah um as we age our parents have less and less power and that is just the fact so a lot of times you think that they're telling me no you don't have the ability to actually tell you no so it's like are they actually telling you no if you have the power do it and stop blaming that i think it's completely unfair at certain age to continuously blame your parents for everything because yeah like they don't they don't control your life anymore you decide to take everything they're saying and that's up to you so if you are if you have been what's it called because i met someone recently and they were like oh i can't do anything and then they say no to everything and she's 25 why are you even asking them (laughs) you can do what you want and stop like it's not fair to them either mm. like it's not fair to them to do be lumped with all of the ba- blame of your yeah. happiness and whatnot and to still have to have the role of parenting like at some point the parenting does have to stop like they want to have their own life as well like why I mean it's it kind of reminds me of the situation like this girl I used to I used to know back in the day like when we we're still in middle slash high school yeah. and it reminds me like I, I still kind of she's roughly in my acquaintanceship shall we say so I still know about her well like growing up we had very strict parents like me and her both obviously my parents are less strict now but like um growing up we both had very strict parents like I, I think I told you this before when my mom had this rule of like you can't go out more than once and yeah. I don't mean like going out to party I mean like going out of the house like I'd come home from school go to the shop and they'll be like I want to go to the park she's like no you already went out today <laughs> <laughs> it's like what so yeah we kind of had a lot of that going on and then her parents like did something which I think is a bit cruel to be honest where they kind of just continuously dangled freedom just outside of reach pretty much her entire childhood life where it was like we were about the age of 13 14 and it was like oh you know I want to go to this trip I want to wear a little bit of makeup I want to wear this I want to listen to music I want to have my own phone yes back in the day not everybody had a phone when they were 11 so it was like these little things that she wanted. <laughs> it was these little things that she wanted. And it would always be like, yeah, if you finish grade eight, then we'll give it to you. Or when you turn 15, we'll give it to you. Or when you turn 18, we'll give it to you. Or once you get into, once you finish your, what's it called, lower level education, go into higher education, we'll, you can do that. Once this, and that pretty much continued her entire life. So like now we're the same age and like she's pretty much around the same freedoms that yeah. she had when we were teenagers. And it's just really sad. Like I blame the parents and her a little bit as well. Cause like you said, yeah. like she allowed herself to be put in that situation, but also the parents, like it was very cruel to kind of not say no straight away so that she can make, start making moves based on that no and start getting her independence, yeah. but just to always dangle it just outside reach where she thinks if I just endure this little bit, I can, and it's, it's looking back at it, it was just such a cruel thing to do. And, yeah, uh, yeah. there are loads of people who do that and they are cruel but I think I think there's a there's a limit to how much you can play your, yeah. your parents for things and I think at some point of time we are all guilty we play, I do this all the time I blame any flaw I have on my parents so <laughs> it's not, I know it's, I'm not free of this either but it's yeah. not there on them it's just not a, like a reasonable thing to do if you mm-hmm. have reached a certain age and you are financially free and you are capable of doing the things you want to do and you're choosing not to do that is on you like you cannot keep blaming everybody else for it 
but yes but it's not at the same time don't think of it as being this glamorous thing that is so much fun it is not fun at all not all the time so it's not fun but it's, i feel like it's not as difficult as advertised it's not as difficult Where, um, no I don't yeah think. like i feel like our parents obviously also play a role in this where they're just like you know i'm moving out on your own what if somebody breaks in what if somebody doesn't it's like in the majority of time that doesn't happen <laughs> like it's like it's literally just you you just break it down into smaller steps and then you see that like, yeah, I need to find a place. Yeah, you go through right move, you go to Zoopla and then you find the right place. Not that difficult. You save up a bit of money. We all know how to do that. We, we saved up for a phone, we saved up for a laptop. Now you're saving up for something slightly more at security deposit, but it's not. The, and like, you know how to do the process and you just break it down step by step. And you know, it can be done, I guarantee you. It's like, no, nobody who's moved out has like some secret superpowers that like has helped them through the, like, it's fine. And literally anybody can do it. I think the best thing about it, more than anything else, is that I've met so many wonderful people throughout throughout this last yeah. year, and I've really enjoyed. It. I don't think I have have met any of them if I still lived at home, or at least yeah. in the same way. There have been some terrible downsides to it, like yeah. all these shitty people, all that have come across. But on the whole, it's been really, really great, and I think it helps you grow up more than anything else. So I it does. So yeah, this is all making me very excited about planning for Paris, and um, yeah. I hope I'm so I, excited for you. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm doing it this year, but I'm saying I'm doing yeah. it in the near near future. So mm. imagine doing this podcast from Paris and you in Sudan. Oh my god, our connection would be so horrible. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. That would be amazing. But yeah, no, like just like a final point, I suppose, from the parents thing. Uh, when it comes to strategy, get your mom on your side first, and then she'll get your dad on this. Wow. Okay. Well. My mom was difficult, actually, getting my dad. Because, like, yeah, you can get her with, like, you can come visit me and you can have, like, a girls' night. And, yeah. like, just be like, yeah. and you can see a different place. And then, because, like, I feel like moms as well, like, they have this restriction of, like, you can't be, like, I feel in our society as a mom, you can't just be like, oh, yeah, planning a trip to London. Why? No reason. Just, like, just going to chill. That doesn't really happen. Yeah. But, like, if you're, I'm going to visit my daughter to London. Yeah. That's, that's more socially acceptable so it's like yeah you can yeah. you can you can frame it as like an extra trip and an extra curricular activity for your mom and get her on your side and then yeah that's a good actually that does work I did that I actually did that with my when I first moved I invited both of my parents down to come and visit and then yeah. I took them out I took them out for lunch and dinner like showed them around they stayed in my place they really enjoyed it and then kind of eases their mind because they kind yeah. of they see where you're living they see the life they kind of feel like okay they kind of roughly know what you're up to even though they yeah. don't <laughs> but what do you feel like on that topic what do you feel about like kind of using good behavior to get what you want out of your parents do you think that's kind of like them coercing you a little bit or do you think that's strategic I think that's strategic you just gotta do yeah. what you gotta do that's yeah like if you're gonna ask for like extra money you're gonna like have the chores down to a tea for a week beforehand <laughs> yeah i think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do yeah. i think you just gotta do what you gotta do if you know what you want just do it but it does it does help invite both of your parents down your mom or your dad whoever you have a good relationship with oh neither whatever works for you <laughs> invite them down <laughs> invite them down Hush, yeah. allow them, just let them stay for the day get them familiar to your where you live and your area and whatnot and they'll just ease into it and they get used to it like mm. Half of, half of my mom's kids now live away from home so she's yeah. very very used to it and has moved on <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but not, yeah it is like it is great for the parents as well like I said it's great for everybody involved and uh yeah I will say that like 
obviously if you if you know your parents have separation anxiety maybe don't start off with parents like don't start off ridiculous yeah. start off small. that far far away <laughs> yeah <laughs> But yes, uh, yeah. if, what do you think when you first moved to a new place? You have actually moved quite a lot. You went to Aberdeen, you went to Aberdeen, have, yeah. now you are near London. Um, mm. What do you think? How is the every new every city you have been to has been completely new to you? So, what are the best tips you have making friends, familiarizing yourself in the area, getting yourself established and comfortable? Yeah, and so are your first like 10 things you do when you move? um I, I don't know about 10 things <laughs> but like you know, things, but like yeah um so when I first got into what's it called got to Aberdeen that was like the first moving out from from home into university and there was definitely that moment when I first walked into my room where there was just like this shock of like oh my god I don't know anything I don't know anybody what am I going to do and I panicked for a little bit yeah. and then it's just about literally don't get caught up in that feeling too much and the first thing you can do is just get outside and walk around like literally it's just there's nothing no better feeling of easing your like there's no better way to ease your mind other than familiarizing yourself with your area like know how to get back home know how to where the nearest it doesn't have to be like you know the most elaborate exploration like where is the nearest grocery store where is the bus stop how do I get back home where are the routes leading from home so like a, a little bit of exploring with that yeah. uh, with mine like I moved into a student accommodation obviously and I had my um my flatmates so yeah like don't be the person that like just holds themselves up in their room and gets a little bit angsty it is a little bit awkward especially if you're not the most social person in the room but yeah um first few weeks have your door wide open to your room so that like when people are walking past you saying hi to each other you're interacting with each other you're seeing yeah. each other and just like try and make friends with your flatmates a lot of people are very nice social anxiety aside majority <laughs> of people are not assholes not like everybody was super nice everybody's in the same kind of nervous state you are so yeah um keep your door open walk around talk to your flatmates and then if you feel a little bit homesick um, obviously talk to your family as well but one thing that helped me was like reading books that I was reading at a really good time in my life so like familiar books that are like I know I know and love so nostalgia. I would read them. I, sorry nostalgia exactly yeah like a reading for nostalgia knowing for that feeling of familiarity and that can be like movies music whatnot so like just a little bit of media that you're very very nostalgic and familiar with um that helped and yeah from there honestly like it kind of just let nature take its course yeah and and that was that yeah how about you when you first got to I think university? that's the same thing I would say if you I I don't know about university because I didn't do it for university so I can't advise mm. on that but if you move after university once you start working and you're moving somewhere you don't know anyone I think the best thing to do is move and get a place that has at least loads of people in house share so yeah. I I was doing the dumb thing where I initially was looking for for a place on my own, and then I quickly realized in London. <laughs> how did that go? <laughs> I quickly realized how bloody expensive it was, <laughs> and then got a place with one other person, and then moved out of that. Got a place with two people, and so I would, I would, I would, if I would have done it again, I would actually have moved to a house share with say five or six people, mm. and so that you can just meet. <clears throat> you can meet so many people at one time and then you yeah. meet their friends and you meet their their friends and then you go to birthdays you go to parties you go there so it's just much easier to establish your own set of connections your own set of networks but if you do end up living in a place that has just two people get to know them really well meet their friends go if they invite you to anything say yes even if you're yeah. anxious just say yes to things go see mm -hmm. people go out I think the most nerve-wracking thing about it all is um going out on your own for the first time yeah that 
it's horrific but you only ever if you're really good at it you can only you only really have to do it once yeah once you meet someone and like it seems like you guys are clicking keep that going and be that person who actually keeps that like your conversation flowing until you meet them again or you meet someone they know and that's how you loads of my current friends are people I have met through someone else who I'm not friends with anymore yeah (laughs) yeah of course like socializing networking like the basics you're not in the university you're not in school so it's much harder to make friends out of convenience and make friends out of you know proximity because if Mm. you are in a classroom with someone it's much easier to say oh you know we study together we do work together we spend the same amount of time together in cross proximity it's much easier to connect but it's a lot harder to do when you have different schedules and different places that you live in you're not close you're only ever seeing each other once a week that is really really hard and no one ever prepares for you to do that Hmm. and my workplace I was I was planning to make friends at work but everybody I work with is like old white men and that's it it's, honestly I don't I don't recommend that like friends I feel like friend, there should be a separation between work and social life so I don't recommend making friends at work but, but that's true I say that but at the same time any black girl that has come through our office we have become friends and we have like outside how of many black girls come through your work place of it's work been three so far. <laughs> the question it's been three so far and it's like yes. seven, seven levels of our building seven floors and oh, I, I am in one floor and the two are like two floors above me and then one one me. and all four of us are friends now yes <laughs> we, just met other, we just met each other in the lift <laughs> oh that is amazing yeah. oh one other thing i should have mentioned as well like if you're in a university setting like join clubs and join social clubs yeah. it's like the bread and butter of making friends in societies like i've joined one or two societies and i kind of stuck with them throughout my time at university and that has been like the absolute best decision i can completely completely enjoyed it and uh, yeah um on the topic of like making alliances at work and what stuff and like be, play certain workplaces not having that many black people I know we were having a great conversation <laughs> so we have to like turn it serious now what do you think about like obviously you'll have more to say about this than I do because of your job um what do you think about the recent study published in the UK where the UK has investigated itself and found that the UK is not racist so all the black people in the UK uh, all the people of color you can rejoice force alert these past uh, 400 years um yeah it turns out everything is fine everything is a-okay that yeah. racism is no longer a problem in the uk what do you think about the good news uh, i would love to visit that britain the britain they've been describing in my report sounds that's like a lovely place that's a place it? it does sound like fantastic place oh my god oh god <laughs> i it's it is the funniest thing in the world partly because yeah. I work with loads of almost every like 99.9% of people I work with are white and um, particularly white men mm. and none of them ever obviously think they are racist or anything like that and they think the whole blame of institutional racism and white patriarchy and whatnot one night all just bullshit that people just made up in their sociology classes and so on nothing is mm. a question of real life or whatnot and of course they have a lot of black people in their life that can what's it called confirm these views of theirs because they have like a very intersectional you know social life and they like meet a lot of people and have different places that they that they interact with and they don't live in an echo chamber so they can you know clearly and confidently say that is that right 
That's exactly what it is. The thing, have you seen that Chris Rock joke where he says, I know loads of white people, but all the white people who I know only know one black person and that's me. Yeah. That is literally my workplace. They all just know me (laughs) and that's it. Even though they live in London. So it's kind of- You're the one black friend that they all have in common. Friends is a (laughs) friend. But I don't know. You're the one black person that they know. I genuinely do get on with white men, to be fair, partly because I don't know what it is about me, but the inner white savior complex in them jumps out when they see. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. I have had a really good route in my career so far, (laughs) partly because I have, and I, I, I recommend people to do that if it works in your benefit. I don't know if how ethical it is or whatnot, but yeah. so far for me, any interview I've had, any like to where in my organization work is a very, very hierarchical. So to get to the next grade, mm-hmm. they make you jump through hoops for it. And one of the best ways to get through those hoops is someone who has done it or is at least three, four grades above you or deputy director or director or something like that who can help you navigate and yeah. you prepare for the right answers so you have the right sense of presentations and so on. And the easiest way for them to do that is to help little poor Somali girl. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, that is wrong, but like right at the same way for you anyway, if you can exploit it. But so many of them are always so fucking keen <laughs> to be like, I, you have so much potential, Howard. There's have- just something about you. Like I can't put my finger on it, but there's me. just something but that makes you like feel like they need to come and save me. <laughs> And they always feel the need to mentor me and support me and help me get through the next day because I just have so much potential. Potential. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I absolutely love that. I mean, honestly, like that is the ideal state, isn't it? Like to work in. I mean, there's some. I have been doing so much reverse mentoring and I have opened up eyes and whatnot. So, you know, if if you are in that kind of situation, it is a bit tricky. I'm not going to say yeah. that the easiest ride and sometimes it's awfully condescending and quite dehumanizing. And all of that is true. Mm. But you, if you are an opportunist like me, <laughs> I would say take advantage of it. And just yeah. allow, if they want to help you for whatever twisted reason it is for, take advantage of it. And I know, that I would not have been <laughs> getting my pay if it wasn't for the fact that so many of them have so hey. much white savior complex. So it just it has to be what it is. Just it is. I mean, if you want to use that, that is absolutely fair. I don't see anything wrong with that, to be honest. Um, I honestly wish that was the case in my job, but sadly it's not. Oh. Whereas with my job, it's like with my field, shall we say, the best way to get to the next level is to switch jobs. Oh. <laughs> switch, companies, switch companies totally. Well, like it's very much a situation where once you have a little bit of experience, you have your foot through the door and then yeah. you kind of just hop around, like not too much, obviously, but like you hop around from, from one kind of sector to sector, not sector, but like from one company to a company in uh, areas, shall we say, and you kind of just rack up that experience, that experience from here, that experience from there. Uh, while you do that, um, I absolutely have taken advantage of several times of the so-called diversity hire situation and I feel absolutely no shame about that whatsoever yes I am the only black girl black person in my entire company oh my god I don't know about the entire company because like it's a multinational company it's a like it involves wait you are 
area, but like the specific building where I work, yes, I'm the only black person, not black girl, black person. And I have and I have my suspicions that there was some diversity hiring politics involved. And let me tell you quite clearly, I have absolutely no shame and no regrets about that whatsoever. As far as I'm concerned, every white person that gets hired is a homogene homogeneity hire because they got hired because they're white. So why shouldn't I get hired? Because I'm not. So yeah, I think that is absolutely great. Um, take advantage of that. Spell your name in the CV in the most like ethnic way you can. Lean into the spent four years or five years in Somalia or five years in Uganda or whatever. <laughs> List that as your experience. Lean in. Uh, lean into it, show up with the like, you know, <laughs> dashiki to the, like, no, don't show up with the dashiki to an interview. Like, that's maybe taking it a little bit too far. But yeah, that is absolutely something, you know, you're just going to have to use the cards that you were dealt in life. And that is one that you can use, be that white savior or diversity complexes, diversity hires, sorry, not complexes. But yeah, um, use your tools to your best advantage. And that's all that's, I have to say. I think that is the best, the only thing we can really do. I have, no sense of you know um, shame, no shame <laughs> whatsoever i like being paid i like receiving checks I, I love having money like it is great why would i get in my own way if someone looks at me and then sees a poor somebody girl <laughs> and they need to say you know what and if that's going to lead to me getting my next job I'm just gonna let that go. I'm just gonna exactly. let that run. So, that, yeah. that's the problem. but I find going back to the report, I find the report really, really interesting. And I think anyone who hasn't read it yet, don't read summaries of it, read the whole thing. It is okay. much worse than you think. <laughs> <laughs> It's a yeah, um, can you include a link to it like in the post I'll link the link sure. on I'm not yeah. going to say a lot about it because of my current job so I'm just not going to make any commentary about Fair. why they did it what the reasons were and what the motivations were to do that so I'm going to keep a zip <laughs> <Like a muckle. laughs> sorry gonna, something in my throat Go on. but what I think is really really interesting is and I think let's talk about some of the good stuff first one of the good things i think they are right about and mm. interesting but sometimes uncomfortable truth is that the determining factor how to progress in britain particularly if you are ethnic minority and especially if you are from a black community either black african or black caribbean the single determining factor is education and your family structure yeah so having a solid family structure and having a good level of education does make a difference, does help you move up. So if you compare yourself to people who have very similar, from a similar background, but don't have those two things, your chances of getting a better life, the way you describe better life, for example, in the report is having a certain income, which is about yeah. the national average, having a good level of education, living in a safer area per se yeah. not necessarily being a council house having a privately rented house or you know mortgage or something like that that's what they consider a good life in this report i'm not saying that is a good life but i'm just saying yeah know, the report that is what they describe and to attain those things education and family structure matters yeah they then skip <laughs> i'm not going to say the motivations why they skip that but then they manage to somehow skip and completely forget that every level of institutional education that you go through whether from primary to university black children experience a very very different level of barriers yeah all the way from for example um 
from being in a primary school in nursery, black children are five times more likely to be excluded under the age of five compared to white kids who are under the age yeah. of what is about under age five that somehow makes them so dramatically worse yeah. that they actually get themselves included compared to the white kids? I don't, I don't think it's a matter of personality, shall we say? And something like elaborating on that, I think there's also a very important point to be made about kind of the different school experiences and just lifestyle experiences that you have depend, depending on your location in the city and depending on what area you live in in the city. And which what school is available to you? Because of, and unfortunately, because of various historical reasons and real estate practices, obviously you have different communities and different people from a particular um, ethnic group concentrated yep. in cer- certain areas. And those are the areas that get, subhanAllah, I don't know how that happens. They get the least amount of funding. They get the <laughs> shittiest schools. <laughs> they get the shittiest GPs. And I think anybody in particular in Birmingham, I'm sure it's the, sa- the, sh- the same for other cities as well. Yep. But we in Birmingham, we know like what areas where, you know, you live in this particular area, the school is going to look a specific way, the GP yep. is going to be a certain way, the supermarkets are going to look a certain way, there's just a different air and a different level of investment and different level of care yep. from the government given to certain areas compared to, shall we say, Solihull in Birmingham, and that has or a very different... Barbourne or Errington, or Silly Oaks, or Silly Park, Silly Oaks, all yeah. of them, how yeah. they magically... And compare that, to the Alam Ro- compare that to the Alam Rocks of the world, and compare that to the small heaps of the world. So there's very different, like, it's also important about not just excluding people based on race, but that entire systematic exclusion that takes place just based on my postcode makes me go to this school, yeah. and now I'm yeah. already at a disadvantage. So I'm guessing that was and skipped Their over. justification for that is, they say that a lot of black children, whether they be Black African or Caribbean, they make a very specific point to talk about Black African and Black Caribbean as a two separate groups, which is interesting, but I'll get back to that. They then say, those children are all going to the same schools, but having these different outcomes. And this is the part where they omit a very important information. Partly mm. one of being black, black African children, Children, who they actually are talking about is Nigerian, Ghanaians, and so on, West African children, who come yeah. to this country mostly as economic migrants, who yeah. are often from middle class. Here they are artificially working class. What I mean artificially working class is someone who had a diploma or a degree in their home country, say yeah. as a doctor, but cannot use that here. So they have yes. to do a more routine work, but still has that cultural educational background. And allow the attitude of and wealth, attitude, shall we say. And they pass that on to their children. So those children who come from family who are artificially working class are end up going to really good universities, are becoming higher income earners. Yeah. That's working class and Caribbean children who are here several generations whose parents are working class and them themselves working class too, end up yeah. getting a very similar outcome as white working class kids. And they somehow say, oh, that's the evidence that there is no actual racism. And that's more to do with this fact. They ignore the fact that black kids, black African kids whose parents come here cannot work as a doctors, as somehow yeah. being a sign of some form of institutional racism. And they just say, oh, the fact that, you know, these two different types of black children in the same classroom are getting very different outcomes. Therefore, it must mean there is no structural racism. And then... Here comes my Somalis, who are completely forgotten in this report. <laughs> and there's no mention of us anywhere. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which, like, I mean, Somalias, I will say, is one of the, like, the healthiest diasporas in the UK. We are like, you... visible, we are loud, we are here, and there is yes. no sign of us anywhere. And they talk a lot 
about black African kids doing super well and then being second highest achieving children at school. Yeah, and there's no mention about Somalis because unfortunately for us, and there's a really justified reason why that's not, but we are also dramatically underperforming. And I my argument for that is a lot of institutional racism for it. Yeah. My children are actually targeted both because of their black and because they are Muslim, that being the reason why teachers, for example, discriminate them. Yeah, really but then there's the, like there's also the kind of area situation that comes into it as well, where, again, areas like Small Heath, like the amount of funding or lack thereof that they get for the schools, for them. Like just the bad information that is being put out there when I think about, you know, the educational level. Like, well, you had teachers that like, would literally make us, like in this school that I went to anyway, which, again, wasn't the best area. They'd have, like, get, just give us bad information of, like, oh, yeah, if you do BTEC, you can still go and end up doing A-levels in that subject. Or if you do this and you can do that, or what's it called, the GCCs that we were doing, they didn't have time or didn't, couldn't be bothered to teach us the whole material. So they teach us half of it. And then when the controlled assessments come around, they yeah. only make us answer half of the questions and not the other. And they tell us, oh, the exam board says you don't need to answer those. When yes, you absolutely do. And then the highest grade you can they ever have much, They have such a low aspiration yeah. for these children. Exactly, low aspirations perpetuated by the schools. Yeah, and that's completely omitted from the record. There's no mention of that. There's no. There was just a lot of nitpicking of data. They yeah. talk about a lot of Black African kids, but then completely forgot a whole set of Black African kids who are not doing well. That that being Somali kids and so on, who are not doing yeah. well, and that just that is just ignored. And then the second biggest problem I have had with the report is they talk a lot about achievement as a sign mm-hmm. of not being there, not being structural racism. Like in the UK, it's not all about achievement, the reason why black people are behind. There are other things, for example, death, mistreatment in lots of institutions, harassment, and so on, that negatively affect our lives. For example, for I think five or three black women, I think it's three or four times more likely to die at childbirth at compared childbirth, yeah. to black or white women. That is yeah. of for black caribbean and black african women so yeah. <laughs> if they are achieving higher why are they also dying at the same rate and then you also add the fact of sadly just because you're achieving something doesn't mean that mistreatment mistreatment isn't happening exactly. just because there's somebody like there's a few exceptional people that manage to like against all the odds and like by sheer stubbornness and sheer dumb luck sometimes manage to achieve doesn't mean that there's an entire group of people systematically being stopped from reaching that achievement it's the case as one for if you're in school and like you're being told to fill out half of the assessment or like only two-thirds of it or whatever because of shitty teachers or shitty institutionalism yeah. if there's somebody that like by their parents like just putting in all the effort and like by sheer intelligence and like high intelligence as well that they have and all of the things going in their favor managed to get at the best possible grade that they have that's not proof that all of this other bad information and bad education is not going on it is it's just you have a few exceptions that managed to make it even with the odds stacked against them which of course makes you wonder how much better would they have performed if they didn't have the odds stacked against them and none of that is navigated none of that is actually thought through none of that is considered here there is no nuance there's nothing they are perpetuating this idea of black excellence which means that if it is your personal responsibility to yeah Put yourself through your bootstraps and make your way through the life in Britain because you have all the opportunities here for you. And if you don't take advantage of it, it's your personal failure. It's your reason and you alone. So you can maybe, even if it's flawed, you can probably use that argument for achievement in terms of education and income and so on. You cannot use that argument for rates of death 
or yeah like, why yeah, are you not no. why are we dying at the same rate oh the you're fact pulling that yourself at your boost up by your bootstraps <laughs> for example lots of black patients who are in mental health institutions get treated much worse than white counterparts in there yeah. is that their own personal failure too the fact that black children are not discriminated in primary school is that their the reason do you, you know, know what that reminds me of like that, that whole kind of rhetoric of like you know you can do it if you work hard enough do you remember when we were watching that tv show um lovecraft's country yeah and it was like set in Jim Crow area, well, era, America, where black people, like, I don't even know how they survived because they didn't even have a chance back in those days, right? And then there was this one <laughs> black girl that was like, well, I don't think the Negro race would be where it is now if everybody worked as hard as me. <laughs> and then just like had that attitude of like, yeah, I can pull myself up by the bootstraps. And it's just like, it just goes to show that these kind of people, obviously I'm not saying it's black people so, but like just these kind of people, they're black and white counterparts have existed throughout all time, throughout all millennia, just completely missing the point. And here we are. People, people who resonate with this um, this report, and there's loads of people who look just like us who resonate with this report, think that it's true. It's because they like to believe that they are uniquely exceptional, that they yeah. themselves got to where they are because they are intelligent or hardworking and whatnot, and, and that everybody else is just not good enough. It's just not everybody hard else. Enough. Enough. I always make a point, like anywhere I am or anything I have achieved is because of luck, and there's a heavy, it is. heavy dose of luck. I think it is, and I feel like there's two different things about. here because because like there's two different situations going on where there is the case of like there are people that just aren't putting in the effort and aren't working hard enough and that's not particular to do with race that's just to do with attitudes in every group where the high achieving or low achieving you're gonna have people that just aren't they're just education is just not their thing and I think we can all look back at A levels just before our exams and the nonsense that people were pulling back in those times and remember certain incidences of that but there's a big difference between some people who just don't have the aptitude for it and an entire systematic operation continuously just underhanding and undervaluing certain groups of people shitty schools that they have to end up going to that they were just they're not given as much of a chance and I yeah. feel like those two things are very distinct distinctive categories where and, and again, like just like not to say that the report is right, but like just because, you know, all the points that you mentioned, that doesn't mean that every black person, the only reason they what's it called underperforming is all of these reasons and all of these systematic reasons. No, some people are just bad at education and that's a fact. But that but is like, not, that is but not we proportionally also, higher. My point is that it's not proportionally yeah. higher than anyone else who's underachieving any particular yeah. the large number of reasons why people are underachieving here. Yeah. And who happen to be from our ethnic background is because there is massive barriers and hoops to jump through sometimes yeah. someone can say i have the aptitude i have the skill set i have the knowledge but i don't want to jump through all of these hoops i don't want to work somewhere where people think you are somehow some little black somali girl who needs to be yeah. and i don't want to go through that indignity and him like that kind of dehumanization in my day-to-day -day yeah. life i don't want to go through that i don't think I should be able to go through it and that is legitimate and that is often a sign that there is a level of institutional racism going on yeah I, I think that, uh, my irritation and my frustration comes with the people who know better but don't do better and people who know that these things you can read through the report and it's a badly put together third year dissertation that probably would get a tutu <laughs> Like that. it's horrendous it omits yeah. so much information so much statistics and so much evidence and it's there to build a particular type of narrative narrative of it being 
of black excellence of unique set of people doing well because they themselves are uniquely exceptional and everybody else who doesn't do what they have done or haven't achieved that kind of level of success is because they personally have failed and I think that is absolute bullshit I was gonna say I'm not gonna share my opinions about the report then I spent 20 minutes talking about my opinions about the report (laughs) yeah no uh, I think that's absolutely like you're absolutely spot on and I just wanted to mention like this other kind of background story shall we say that is tangential tangentially related to that we're back in my school where um again you know not the best school not the best area they did have like one redeeming quality where like for set ones and set two which I was lucky enough to be plotted in uh was they like the teachers were you know they were on it like you had passionate teachers you had good teachers that was there like they were there for their subject and that was set one and set two and then there was set three up to, I think in some cases set eight or set seven, where the teachers just did not give a flying F. The only thing they did for that class was take attendance. And then that was it. Self-learning, quote unquote, self-study, whatever it is, read a book and write a report about it. I don't really care. They were just abandoned to that. And that that sl- that slotting of how you ended up in which set, it was issued like at the beginning. For me, again, I don't know how it would, how, how it happened for the rest of the students, but the way it was for the students kind of coming into the school, not not from, from year seven, kind of like halfway through year eight, year nine, whatever, you do this test in the computer, right? And it will test you like for math, it tests you for English, for whatever. And it was not even like stuff about intelligence. It's just information that like, either you know you, or you don't, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like it's, it's more to do with parenting, shall we say, like yeah. parenting and educational levels of your parents, where either you know it or either you don't. And based on that test, that's how you get slotted into the sets. And yeah. once you're in that set, it's almost impossible to leave. <laughs> yeah. So then you just had that situation where like some people by sheer luck sometimes yeah. got ended up in one set. Some people ended up in the other sets. And from there, like you were just set on this path of like, you know, GCCs, uh, what's it called? You know, higher GCCs, whatnot, um, uh, higher tier. Sorry, that's the correct term for it. Higher tier. That's what you're going to achieve. And then you have the other ones where you set on the course of foundation. There's no way to leave that the highest grade you can achieve is a C and you're just yeah and you're just literally you just that's the you're set on the course of failure and there's nothing you can do the teachers don't give a shit you can't get out of that class you know it's just literally you just slotted in right from the beginning which is kind of like a microcosm of the situation the largest situation at hand in the country but yeah um it's very interesting to know what kind of people they had doing that report and writing that report where there are pictures are on there there are some of them there's a woman on there who's economist who i deeply deeply respect she wrote a wonderful book about how africa doesn't need aid anymore yeah she's brilliant she like we even studied her at my university course she's one of the economists that like a part of our reading course and she's great and I cannot believe she contributed to something like this like I cannot believe that people would do something it just like goes to show they wanted very people that had a very certain attitude towards race it's not even that. there's one um Tony Sewell has have has had for a very very long time a particular idea of reason why black children in this country I'm not saying the world but in this country in the UK are failing and his predominant narrative has always been that there's a large uh, single parent households in black communities and that is why black children especially black boys are failing and i there is the here the cause the correlation that causation is very much applicable because yes that might be true but if you look elsewhere i mean it's the, po- it's the point you mentioned as well about like you know dying for example dying in hospitals for for what's it called black women and being treated in mental hospitals yeah that like i don't see how single parent households which single parent households i am not a fan of and i am you know against that kind of 
celebration of that, shall we say, that is going on in certain cultures. We can have a, we can have a podcast which about is another, which is yeah. another topic, yeah. and you know, that's a whole situation. Directly. But like, it doesn't, like you said, you're just emitting, like the point you mentioned about nitpick, nitpicking and emitting certain specific data comes yeah. into play here. Well, like, because even if you he, want to accept that, that doesn't quite add up. He makes that argument quite re- regularly, and he makes a point about, like, blaming in the entire socioeconomic disadvantages of a particular group because of the large segment of a single mother household, but then forgets to compare the very similar background of people, for example, Bangladesh and Pakistani communities in this country who are equally disadvantaged, who have equally low achieving grades and low achieving incomes on the whole compared to Black Caribbeans. And they have two parent households. And so Somalian, what, Somalian households as well. Somali like, households are also two parent households on the whole. Again, on the whole, I think Somali parents are maybe slightly changing. Let's see what this is. <laughs> yes, I think the census next year is going to the census, but no, sorry, go on. you know, it's Somali households on the whole, I think the vast majority are two parent households where it's a very traditional setup the man works and the woman stays at home, takes care of children, and we are yeah. equally as disadvantaged as Black Caribbean children. So, I don't, so his arguments doesn't like doesn't explain how does that uh. not work or does not apply to very very similar groups of people so it's a lot of omitting it's a lot of nitpicking it's a lot of it's just disheartening and i'm so yeah. disappointing in some of the people who contributed to this and commission and some of the evidence they have put forward to i i hope they think that there is something more meaningful that's coming out of it and it actually yeah. is but I can't see anything good. I don't think it tells us anything. I think it's yeah. just, it was initially there to build a particular narrative and that is what it delivered, so. And then it's just, it's again, like it's just so disheartening because there is just, like for us, obviously, if we grew up in those communities and grew up in those areas, for us to see with our own eyes, like this yeah. is the difference between this area and that area. This is the, like what I walk past, like the sites and the, you know, yeah. the rundown areas that I walk past every single day compared to somebody who lives a few postcodes in, in the in a different direction and doesn't have to go through that and we just see that and it's just every day you walk out of your house and you walk into your house and everybody who knows this area, lives in those areas knows that as a direct and stark reminder that this country has a serious problem with the way it treats different looking people and different minority ethnic groups and different minority groups and it's just like it's almost like you're living in a parallel universe where you yeah. see that so clearly of like why does this area look like this and this other area looks like that and then on the, another parallel universe universe going on at the same time you have this report being published telling that no no everything well, is fine it's all Don't a worry fragment about of your imagination and exactly like it's all a fragment of your imagination and you're seeing like evidence of that literally every single day you step out of your door and there's just yeah. something so infuriating about that and when i say like it's the entire area i cannot stress this enough it's like everything the quality of gps the quality of dentists the quality yeah. of you know, like everything and even the quality of buses. Like we all know some buses that like, you know, you don't take that bus past a certain time during the, during the what's it called, during the night. It's that just terrible. Like, Birmingham is actually a very, very segregated city. Like absolutely. So absolutely. Like it's just like some buses, some areas they don't get get cleaned enough they don't get you know maintained enough you know not to go near that area past a certain time because yeah. it's just too disgusting to listening it sounds like if you have not grown up in birmingham it sounds exaggerated but it really it's amazing it's, it's ridiculous so because of course when you 
Yeah, because again, like you come into Birmingham and you go to the nice areas, you know, Centauri Square, the you know the university, the, <laughs> the Birmingham Library, the University of Birmingham. <laughs> yes, the University of Birmingham, all the lovely places. But that's like a small percentage of the city. Like every, this other... it's like southeast Birmingham, like where yes, Alumma, a small area. Washington, Spark Hill. All of that. Yeah, just, that's where you take your Instagram that. pics. That's where you go for your little walks. And then there is the entire rest of Birmingham that is nothing like that. And we live in that reality and we see that reality. And it's just like nobody else. There's nobody else see this. Is it just us? Like it's literally right there. And it's just, you know, there's just something about that. Where again, like you just see something like that and you're like, I don't even know how to go about fixing this. The only thing you can do is escape by moving out, which is the topic of this. That is true. I I, I was going to say that I, there is, for someone, I think both of us, this is true, for people who, who have grown up quite working class backgrounds and aspire to have a very middle class or comfortable lives as we get older, mm. it's near impossible to escape your current situation if you have grown up in where we have grown up. Almost yeah. everybody we know has stayed, and we are you know, not far away from either. One paycheck away for all of us to fall apart. Yeah, from moving right back home. Like, let's not get too <laughs> exactly. So let's too not be comfortable about where we are. But yeah, it's near impossible to move. Like it is, it, is. it does happen. That's not what I'm saying. But the idea somehow that hard work or being intelligent or any of this are somehow a magic bulletproof way out of it. It's a fallacy. It's not like how, how much intelligence is going. Like, there's no amount of intelligence that's going to help you if you've been slotted into the wrong set or into a bad set where yeah. the teacher doesn't give a shit and you're you're not allowed to take the higher T exam. You're taking the lower T exam, so you're going to end up with the highest grade of C, no matter how hard you try. There's only so much hard work that can get you good A levels when you're in a completely rubbish college. That even the like mediocre college that we went to was like an hour and a half away from where we lived. And that again, like it wasn't like it was stellar education. It was mediocre. But even the mediocre one, if we didn't want to go to a completely rubbish one, we had to take a commute of an hour and a half there, an yeah. hour and a half back. That's extra time we could have spent studying. Okay, probably not. Extra time we could have spent <laughs> sleeping. Extra time we could have spent resting. Extra time we could have spent in extracurriculars that we didn't have because of the area that we live in, because of our postcode. So to look at that, to see all of that going on and be like, no, not a problem. I don't see yeah. what this is about. It's like, it's a whole other, but yeah, if we keep talking about this, it's actually gonna get- You can talk about all the, so, yeah. one of the things I'm most passionate about is how how children who are especially from working class, ethnic minority backgrounds are so forgotten about and so less yeah. mind is so ridiculous. And it's yeah. tragic. And for someone who has been in that, I feel like it's the greatest injustice in the world. I, it is. It's such a wasted opportunity, a wasted talent. And I can't believe it. And if you have, if you think you are exception, I can, I'm happy to remind you, you are not exception. You are not. And then it's like for the long, and so, and for the longest time, you don't even realize because obviously if, you, if that's your whole world and you live in that area, you go to school in that area, you go to college in that area or, you know, a little bit outside yeah. of it. For the longest time, you don't even notice anything wrong. It's like, yeah, this is just, I guess, this is just yeah. how Birmingham is. And then you have that small sight of like the other, how the other people, how the upstairs people live. And it completely just like reignites your anger. And for me, like that happened when like I was taking an external exam, like for my languages, I, I like I, 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 what's it called? Signed up for A-levels to do them as a private student. Yeah. And then I went, the only place I could do them in was this grammar school that was like hosting them for for other students so I was like all right looked up the address went there and I was like hi I'm here for my external exam and I said that like and when I I didn't I couldn't even believe I was still in Birmingham like when I say it's a completely completely different completely different racial makeup of the students completely different attitudes completely different facilities 
yeah. completely completely different i was just like huh Huh. Yeah. So that's what y'all look like when, it, when you're in your I, Good comparison is I, I am currently in Small Heath. Harbone is one of the wealthiest postcodes in Birmingham. It's about mm. hour and a half away. And, and now, I mean, a mile and a half away from here, like 50 minute drive. And it is day and night. <laughs> Actually, anything compared to Small Heath is a day and night difference. <laughs> but it is such a difference and it's I cannot believe that there are children growing up in the very same city, less than 15 minutes away from each other and have a very different experience. My first like shock of how rich people are living is I, I stayed in a bubble up until I left college. And then when I went to university, I went to visit one of my friend's um, houses in Leamington Spa. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, my God. <laughs> I walked in <laughs> like, what? I was still in, literally I was still in Birmingham that's just the attitude of like oh, is this still the same city how uh, it's, it's, it's day and night and then I think I kind of I don't know maybe I just mentally processed it differently and maybe I just buried it I don't know what it was but in my head I was like so you grew up like this her parents had two garages a swimming pool at the back they oh both were God. like engineers they had their house was massive islam like i cannot express how big it was it was so so fast obviously i've seen fancier stuff since but that was the fanciest yeah. i have ever been inside or known someone who lives there and then i was in my head i was like this bitch grew up in this place and then has ended up in the same class as i have i am i'm gonna get there too i am just gonna get to yeah. one way or another i'm gonna hustle my way of finding a rich and wife there, yeah and, and there's another argument to be made of like is it really like you look at the situation of like is it really fair that some people have like all the advantages of the world and yep. then other people just don't and they still end up in the same place that tells you that tells you a lot about the people who have those advantages don't they and like there's cert- yeah. certain levels of intelligence that point, of oh my god these people are so smart she went to private school or like 75 and she still ended up at the same uni as you so like 75 people 75 percent of the people in my university class were all went to private school or went to grammar school and it gave me such a like imposter syndrome feeling and then yeah. i realized these lads have ended up in the same class as me and i don't know shit you have to be dumb <laughs> <laughs> or you know pointing out a little bit of lacking self-confidence here however or oh, you're intelligent God. as fuck <laughs> I am, well, you can take it either way, <laughs> but in my head, I was just like a light bulb moment. I, yeah. like, I cannot believe that you went to private school with like four people in your class and you have ended up in the same class as me and me then knew fuck all. So <laughs> yeah. you must so have no. a very <laughs> slow. So no, I guess uh, in conclusion, we can say um, rich people suck, eat the rich. Yes. And, uh, but no that is a good place to end <laughs> no, but like that is a good place to end overall um i think it goes back to the what's it called advice that i gave i suppose when first moving out somewhere walk around and explore your area and make sure to explore the nicer parts as well as the not so nice parts and find out where the, all the rich men live so that you can marry one of yeah, them yeah that's where you do your shopping that's where you do your yeah. that's where you sign up for the gp that's where you sign yeah. up for the dentist that's where you um i mean i'm not going to say sign up your children for school because like we're not there yet <laughs> but like that's where you go, <laughs> that's that's where you go. but yes but yeah. well 
that brings us yeah. to the end. I hope you have enjoyed that episode. That is, we have covered a lot. I can't even remember what we talk about, so I don't know what to put in the description later. But yeah, that should be interesting. I hope you're not too angry listening listening to this. I do hope everybody has goals and has a read through the report. I still have some way to make through it, and uh, yeah, it's well. Have it's, it's a it's a fun read, if not anything else. So <laughs> read it as critical reading, satirical critical reading. Satirical critical reading, that's what you should. Don't get worked up because it doesn't really describe you or your life. So yeah. that's all. I hope you have a lovely week and we will Thank see you. you in our next episode. I mean, we won't see you, but like, we'll, we'll you'll hear that's us. What I mean. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, so much for listening and bye. Bye-bye.